Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in. It's David Summers hosting another studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. This is the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. Let's step back into the ring, back into time. Let's get wall-to-wall, treetop tall with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. Hey, Ron, listen, this has been a crazy week, but you actually had kind of an up close and personal moment with the legend, Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, man, I did. As a matter of fact, and, uh, I was down there in that part of the country where he was from and mobile that area down there. And, uh, 1975, I went to Tennessee and, uh, I heard about, uh, and I just heard of his name before. This was before he had practically any, any records out even, Mm -hmm. but, uh, I heard of him and I wanted to go see him and he was at the university of Tennessee, but he wasn't in a Coliseum. He wasn't in a big building. He was in a classroom, man. There couldn't have been more than 60 people in there. Wow. And it was just him by himself, had no band with his guitar. Wow. Uh, so pretty intimate little affair, man, with a guy that was going on to be a billionaire and wow, what a loss. Oh, no doubt. Everybody seemed to be in it. And the news came on the really the big opening day for college football. And they were singing his songs in the stadiums all across the nation. That's really incredible. Hey, listen, stud, your immense struggle in 1979 to keep your dream of running two successful territories at the same time alive has made your studcast one of the most popular wrestling podcasts on this planet you were doing something in professional wrestling that had never been done before every stud cast now seems to have another mountain to climb so in which territory was the mountain highest this week that's a good question dave i mean uh, wow it's been pretty troubling troubling deal for a while here with our stud cast uh, seems like the southeastern gulf coast territory and I guess I'd call it the dishonor at this point for most of the year uh, in 1979. It had been a very good start there in 1979 after a great first year in 1978 when we got that business off the ground. And my brother Robert was the booker there to start 1979. And uh, most of uh, an excellent crew that we had moved from Knoxville down south into the Gulf Coast there ended up leaving and going to Memphis territory. And uh, they went there, obviously, to help my father and to help his partner, Jerry Jarrett, 
kind of rebuild and uh, survive one of the worst periods for that territory uh, since that I had been there in uh, 1975 as their heavyweight champion, the Southern heavyweight champion. So by March of 1979, the Southeastern Gulf Coast Territory was uh, was basically uh, left with a crew, man, that uh, was uh, almost as weak as the last Gulf Coast crew that kind of killed that territory down there in 1977. And uh, we purchased it uh, in late 1977, just before the first of 1978, from the Fields Brothers. And uh, we changed not only the territory name, but at the same time, the attitude, man, and the direction. And uh, here we were now almost a year after opening Southeastern, uh, back where we began, uh, with basically a dead territory again in 1979. Hmm. All right, so that's a pretty good description, Stud, of what happened between March of 1978 and March of 1979 in Southeastern Gulf Coast. So what did you do to revive Southeastern Gulf Coast? Well, in March 1979, I hired a booker, uh, Louis Tillette, uh, which uh, everybody knows about at this point. Uh, he went out there. He found the Hulk. He found the Samoans that were in Pensacola. Uh, he brought in Ox Baker. He brought in Austin Idol. Uh, that's just to name a few of the talent that he brought in. And uh, and he got things going. Uh, and then suddenly by midsummer, uh, out of nowhere, he lost the Hulk, uh, now we've lost the Samoans in the last stud cast. Uh, soon we're going to lose Crusher Blackwell and not for long f- before we lose Austin Idol. So uh, obviously uh, in the last uh, stud cast, I fired him uh, mm-hmm. and I had to at this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of, so that's kind of where we stand today in southeastern Gulf Coast, which is the second week in September we're going to be talking about in this stud cast. <laughs> and uh, so the mountain uh, there is a pretty high climb, <laughs> say that. Yeah, we're not used to mountains here in in the southeastern Gulf Coast area. Of course, you are in Tennessee. You've already climbed those mountains a number of times. All right, so what about the situation in southeastern Knoxville territory? The second week in September 1979. Well, the year of 1979 in Tennessee territory started out as the fourth straight year of continual growth. Uh, we had been growing since 1976. The Knoxville War came kind of from out of nowhere, man, in June. And for the first time in four years, it basically stopped the growth of the Tennessee Territory. Uh, By the second week in September of 1979, about 20% of our crowds had been uh, lost, basically, to the Knoxville Fives All-Star Wrestling Company. But uh, even more concerned to me was then the loss of the small loss, basically, of the fans. 20% is not a huge amount. But uh, it's 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 not what you want to see. Um, but uh, you know, more concern to me than that small loss was how they were handling their company and the wrestling war itself. Uh, their last card that we talked about it uh, in the last studcast was a great example of what I'm talking about. And I was concerned, man, to, uh, with uh, how they were doing business, uh, what they were saying on their TV shows, mm-hmm. uh, these uh, crazy. Uh, challenges they were sending that they knew weren't going to be answered and <laughs> that plus the fact we were going to have to send a more tennessee uh talent down south the gulf coast uh, it was really a concern for me man mm. not a very pretty picture that you've painted ron so the title for this studcast 
This is number 315, incredibly number 315. So the title is Record Small Crowd, Blackwell Gone. So I assume since Blackwell was working in the Gulf Coast, the record small cloud must a crowd must have been in Tennessee. So which of these two problems are we going to tackle first this week? Yeah, well, we're going to start in Tennessee, man. Uh, but it was going back on the road again. Uh, I was having to, at this point, uh, uh, back in the back on the planes, back in the car, kind of working both territories, and especially during this week, what we're going to be talking about in this in this episode. And there was uh, more bad news in Tennessee at this point. We were out of the Coliseum on our normal Friday night. And we were also out of my second choice, uh, which was the Chilhowee Park Amphitheater, because the fair was just finishing and they had to remove a lot of stuff. And that amphitheater wasn't available either. So we were forced to go into very much disliked Bill Meyer Baseball Stadium. And that meant uh, automatically that we could expect the smallest Knoxville crowd of the year uh, in the there in the, in the Tennessee Territory for sure. And if it rained, uh, you know, it could be even worse than that. So we'll discuss the TV promoting the Bill Meyer uh, Stadium show, the results of the card, and the attendance. And then we'll jump back down south in the Gulf Coast and we'll focus on Mobile, Alabama card in the Expo Hall down there, uh, the TV promoting it, the results of the matches, the attendances in all three of the major cities there. And I'll even discuss a very rare meeting that I was going to have with the entire crew down there. So uh, then, uh, you know, I think, Dave, we got a really good chance of getting a learning tree question in, man, <laughs> into this studcast. Hey, I'm glad to hear that, Ron, about the learning tree possibility. So that's cool. I have the perfect question. It pertains to the subject that you discussed last studcast about how wrestlers got booked and what you didn't get to last week. Why Vince McMahon Jr. totally changed the business model of professional wrestling. So let's get started. Who was on the Bill Meyer Baseball Stadium card that you mentioned Friday, September 14th, 1979? Well, Dino was uh, wrestling against uh, uh, Gilbert uh, a really, really talented guy who was at this point called Redbeard because he basically had grown his beard out and it was red. So, and, and then what would be a great match on that card, Paul Orndorff was wrestling Tony Charles. Wow, what a, what a great, a great event that was. Then there was a sing, the midget match uh, with Lone Eagle versus Tony Charles. And, uh, I'm sorry, Lone Eagle versus Butch Cassidy, who is, uh, we'll talk a little bit, mention a little bit more about Butch Cassidy here later on. And in a special challenge match, Bob Armstrong was going to be facing Alexis Smirnoff, managed by Gorgeous George Jr. And uh, then um, in the, there was a $5,000, another $5,000 bounty match. Uh, last uh, program, the last uh, guest, Stomper had uh, dealt with Alexis Smirnoff. This time he was going to deal with Tor Tanaka, who was managed by Gorgeous George Jr. And then in the main event, Robert and I were defending the Southeastern Tag Belts against Jimmy Golden and Norvell Austin. Okay, so it sounds like a really good card for a bad venue like a baseball stadium. So how about the TV to set this whole thing up and promote this card? 
Well, it opened with Jimmy Golden and Norvell Austin at the set with Les. And uh, Golden was irate, man, about what had happened to him the night before. And Norvell was angry, obviously, as well. But uh, Austin made a point to Les that, you know, uh, he had been barred from ringside in the match the night before. Jimmy Golden was against Dick Slater for the Southeastern Championship. And, uh, you know, he said, uh, you know, Jimmy was finally getting his chance to win the Southeastern Championship but Dick, against Dick Slater, and they said I couldn't be at uh, ringside for it. So, uh, you know, uh, you know they're still shot behind them because uh, they, they were sitting at the desk with Les, had, had Jimmy Golden on top of Dick Slater uh, for the pin, right? And, uh, you know, so when the video began on the big screen behind them again, Norvell pointed out that he wasn't, look, I'm not at ringside. And then Les pointed out, he says, yeah, he says, you're not at ringside, but why is gorgeous George Jr. there, right? So Jimmy, Jimmy's, he was already mad. So he yelled right off. He goes, oh, what difference does that make, Thatcher? He goes, look where Slater is, man. Look at the video, flat on his back. And look, I'm on top of it. I'm about to win the Southeastern Championship. And uh, so, you know, about that time, the Mongolian stalker came into the picture. And uh, as soon as Gigi saw him, Gigi took off running to the dressing room. So uh, Stomper chased him to the dressing room. And, uh, and because this was a no DQ match, Rob Robert was uh, standing back there with me watching the match. He just went straight up to the ring. He went right in the ring. Jimmy was on top of Slater. He stomped him in the back. He pile-drived him. He put Slater on top of Jimmy, and he came back to the curtain in the back of the building. And uh, so Jimmy watching all this, right? And she screamed at Les, you know, did you see what Robert Fuller did to me? <laughs> and the referee, he just stood there. You know, so, so Les says, which he had a good point, he goes, well, why not? He says, it was a no disqualification match, Jimmy. What did you expect the referee to do? <laughs> right. <laughs> so Jimmy got really bad now. <laughs> he had less had gotten on the wrong side of him for sure. So uh, Jimmy got so nasty. Norvell had to kind of grab him, man. He was going to make a, he was going to go for less, right? And, uh, so, uh, you know, then Jimmy screamed, it was a no disqualification match. He goes, and that rule applied to me and Slater. It wasn't for Robert Fuller. He goes, he's not in that match. So he said, what was he doing there, Les Thatcher? And uh, so he says, I'll tell you why he was there, Les, because he's still mad about me making him bald-headed. So, <laughs> so he says, my hand should have been raised right then, Les Thatcher. I should be wearing the Southeastern belt right now. It should be right here at the desk with me. So then Norvell's trying to calm him down at this point. And, uh, he says to him, uh, you know, like, Jimmy, hey, uh, that, that's why we're getting this Southeastern Tag Championship match this upcoming week. Uh, we don't don't worry about that Southeastern belt. We're going to both be wearing belts next Friday night. We're going to get the Southeastern Tag belts. And, uh, and then he says, <laughs> Jimmy's still about to go for less. He says, come on, we're in the first match. Let's go to the ring. Let's kick some butt. So, uh Golden was screaming at Les, and Norvell kind of pulled him away from the set and uh, off to the ring, and there was a couple of guys already standing in the ring waiting on him. And, um, you know, Golden bid, and once he saw the two guys, 
He didn't even wait for the announcement. He just took mm. off. He slid into the ring. He started whipping, whipping both of them's butt, right? And, the, <laughs> and naturally, uh, Phil Rainey, who was scared of everything that happened in the ring, he took off running. He never made any announcement. And Golden never even tagged Norvell. He did the whole deal in about five minutes. He whipped both of them's butt and uh, ended up pinning both of them. And uh, when he's headed for the dressing room, he was still <laughs> screaming at less on his way past the set. So, you know, he was on fire. Obviously, that TV was off to a good start. So who was on next? Well, it was me and Rob. And uh, we were in a TV uh, tag championship match on television, which we didn't do that very often, especially when it wasn't in the, in the rating period time. But uh, we threw this one in and uh, we tried to get a win as soon as possible, you know. Uh, after we took our belts off, we were trying basically to match the intensity of Jimmy Golden in the first <laughs> match. Jimmy was a ball of fire, you know, and I said, Rob, we got to do something here, man, to make Jimmy look bad. <laughs> so, uh, and then we were pretty close to making that happen, man. Uh, both of us uh, won again with the uh, fuller leg locks. We both had the fuller leg locks on our opponents. And uh, so uh, we, we didn't do bad, but I don't know that we matched Jimmy's intensity. Wow. Okay. But what about the personal personality profile? Who'd you have on that? Well, gorgeous George Jr. Was on this week with his men. And, uh, last week the stomper had been on there. Uh, so before Les got into anything with Gigi about the stomper, he showed Gigi and Alexis Smirnoff an interview from Bob Armstrong about Bob had an upcoming match the next Friday night with, uh, with the Russian, uh, with, uh, Smirnoff. Uh, and once that was over, then uh, Gigi just took over the profile, man, uh, the entire profile. And he used it as a rebuttal, man, basically to everything the Stomper had said about him in the last profile the week before. So he began by calling the Stomper right off a liar. He says he's a bald-faced liar. He said, uh, he said, he said that I, I kept him from talking. He said, I never, ever told the Mongol not to talk. But he said somebody should have because he made an idiot out of himself last week when he did talk. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so he was really getting it to him right away. And, uh, and then I said, uh, you know, and he said, now, now this Friday, he goes, uh, I got my Japanese tank here, Tora Tanaka, and he's going to run over the stomper. He's going to smash him to pieces. And uh, then the stomper going to have to be carried from the ring. They're going to take him to the hospital, just like he was a couple of weeks ago when we got on him. And he said, hopefully, they'll take him from there to the funeral home. So he was really being nasty. Uh, <laughs> and then Tanaka, he kind of, he very rarely said anything, especially since, uh, you know, he had, uh, had uh, the, the man, Gigi, there as his manager. So Tanaka kind of got excited with the, with his opportunity that he's going to chance to go against the stomper for the bounty. And he, you know, he said, uh, you know, I'm going to end this for, for you, boss. Uh, the, I know you have bad time here. And he goes, uh, I end career for the Mongol. Uh, I now win the $5,000 bounty. Big reward. Big night. Wow. Gorgeous so, George Jr. as always, you know. <laughs> He just cut him off, man. He was so disrespectful to guys. And, uh, you know, he said, uh, he said, I'm not going to stop. He goes, uh, telling less. He goes, I I'm not going to stop bringing in bounty hunters until that happens, until somebody does put him in the hospital and then maybe uh, in the funeral home. 
And he says, uh, then he hinted to Les, he says, you know, if necessary, he goes, I have a well-known, extremely dangerous man. He's just been waiting for his chance to win the $5,000. Mm. He said, this wrestler is famous for getting this type of job done. Mm. Uh, he's a real man, which was kind of insulting <laughs> to Tanaka and <laughs> Smirnoff, right? And But he says, he's a real man. And he says, he's put two wrestlers in their graves already. <laughs> And the, and the studio audience let him know what they thought about that comment. They were like, oh, they booed like crazy, you know. And they didn't even know who he was talking about, I don't think. Was he talking about Ox Baker, Ron? <laughs> well, you know, at this point, man, I was pulling out all the stops, Dave. And why not? You know, we're in a war, man. And uh, on the Studcast next week, uh, we're going to be back uh, in the Coliseum. And there's not, not going to be just one new star in that main event on the next one, but there's going to be two of them in that match. Wow. So what about the next TV match? So Alexis Smirnoff and Gorgeous George Jr. Uh, uh, Alexis went with Gorgeous George Jr. And they took uh, Gorgeous George Jr.'s tank to the ring, man. And Tanaka <laughs> boy, wow, did he make an impression, as always. I mean, he was just... Everybody, all the heels were on fire here in this show. And Tanakamba, he just, uh, he, wow, demolished the guy. <laughs> and then uh, they, you know, uh, Jay jumped in the ring. Gigi jumped in to celebrate the victory. And so did uh, Smirnoff. And uh, and they carried the guy out of the ring. They were still in the ring when they carried the, the guy that Tanaka demolished out. They were still celebrating. Wow. So how did the TV end, Stud? Was it just complete mayhem? Well, you know, with the studio audience, basically, this one ended up good, man, because they got their new star, man, the Southeastern star, the Mongolian Stomper at this point. And uh, the Stomper, had watched all these matches, and they were, everybody was so intense that, uh, wow, he just, he came in and did it, did maybe were bigger, big time, more big time than everybody else. He stomped guy in the face about four times, and, uh, you know, uh, before he could leave the ring then, Gigi and his two guys came back into the studio hmm. and a uh, stompers in there by himself, you know, and he's got those two guys standing there. Gigi's behind him and the uh, stomper just says, come on in, get some of it. Right. And boy, they didn't taste the take, man. They took right off. They both went in they attacked him and they kind of got him down a little bit. And boy, he started to come back and that studio went crazy, man. And, uh, he put both those guys on the mat. And then he just shot out on the floor, man, and headed for gorgeous George Jr. And George, man, that did what he's been doing now at this point for about three weeks. He ran like a man possessed, man, out of the, not just out of the, out of the uh, studio, but out of the building. Wow. <laughs> he, right. he went to the parking lot. He was gone. All right. So that was a really good TV show, Stud. What happened the next Friday night? In the Bill Meyer Baseball Stadium. Well, par for the course, man. As you know, as things have been going in uh, 1979, we got rain. <laughs> and, uh, and not nearly as hard, ra- hard as it rained in 1976 out there when I beat Dory Funk Jr. in a Texas death match to earn my shot at the NWA World Champion, his brother Terry Funk, two weeks after that <laughs> night. Uh, it wasn't that kind of driving rain. 
but it was enough of a rain for ringside people to not be able to sit out there uh, where they had their seats and they had to go underneath the uh, covered grandstand. It was just a bad deal. Uh, and in that, uh, in that night, uh, Dean Ho, uh, he beat Redbeard in the opening match. Paul Orndorff got the biggest win that he had gotten since he came to Southeastern. He got a win over Tony Charles, and that was pretty darn difficult, especially since they were both baby faces. Uh, in the midget match, Lone Eagle got a win over the local guy who was born in Knoxville, uh, and uh, he was kind of a star there. His name was Butch Cassidy. And uh, years later, man, he's going to become a backup for Dr. D. David Schultz, years years after this match, uh, this is after Schultz had slapped John Stossel and got <laughs> out of wrestling and became a bounty hunter. He's going to take this little midget with him to be his backup guy as a bounty hunter. <laughs> Are you kidding, Ron? Did that actually happen? I mean, you got to tell us that story in a studcast one day for sure. <laughs> yeah, actually <laughs> did, man. You got you got to read David Schultz's book, man. Wow, you know, Schultz has got a book out, and uh, yeah, he took a little little Butch Cassidy, man. Uh, and I guess that's probably a pretty decent idea if you're a bounty hunter, but nobody's expecting a midget to be backing you up. Right. <laughs> so, so, you know, maybe we'll get to that someday, Dave. But, you know, so, but the next match was scheduled to be Bob Armstrong versus Alexis Smirnoff, managed by Gorgeous George Jr. And uh, Gigi Broad, obviously, is rushing to the ring, but there was no Bob Armstrong. And uh, he wasn't there because he was also booked in Dothan, Alabama on this same night. And uh, we'll be talking about that in the second part of this studcast. i kind of explain that. So the announcer, Phil Rainey, uh, you know, who was Les Thatcher's co-host on the TV, you know, he announced that Bob Armstrong wasn't going to be able to appear on tonight's card. And uh, Gigi just jumped up and down, man. He was ecstatic. He, you know, he heard that news and uh, he grabbed his man's hand and he raised it in victory or so he thought anyway. And the crowd started booing, you know, like there wasn't going to be a match. And then Phil said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, uh, gorgeous George. He goes, uh, luckily there is someone here to take Bob's place. And he goes, and he's the current Southeastern champion, Dick Slater. Well, gosh, the crowd popped, you know, uh, and Dick wasn't even on that card. So, you know, but he had, he had he knew that Bob wasn't going to be there, so he was prepared and ready to go. So Dick came out to the dressing room, out onto the field, and into the little bit of rain that was going, going on. And uh, they had a great match, man. And Dick got his hand raised at the end of the match, and uh, Smirnoff got disqualified, disqualified in the match. And then next was the $5,000 bounty match, Tor Tanaka, who was managed by Gorgeous George Jr. against the Mongolian Stomper. And uh, those two guys had a what they've been having, man. Uh, as you would imagine, it was an extremely bloody match. And both guys were bleeding, and Stomper was getting, getting his hand raised. Uh, with Tanaka unable to get up at the end of the match, he had, he had gotten the best of Tanaka. And uh, Smirnoff and Gigi came down to the ring. Before, before the stomper could get out of the ring, and the stomper was still bleeding. Stomper was uh, he. It had been a tough match with him and Tanaka, and uh, uh, Gigi grabbed a chair, handed it to Smirnoff, and when Stomper started to climb through the ropes to lead, Smirnoff hit him in the head with the chair. Then Gigi and uh, Gigi and uh, Smirnoff started kicking the heck out of Stomper, and uh, 
finally, Dick Slater had to come down and chased him away. And uh, so both the Stomper and Tanaka had to be held back to the dressing room. Uh, tough match for both. Wow. Main event was for the Southeastern Tag Belts. Uh, and this this night, uh, Jimmy Golden and Novell Austin won the Southeastern Tag Belts from Rob and I. We've been champions for about eight weeks. This was our third run as Southeastern Tag Champions. And uh, for eight weeks, we'd been undefeated. But uh, Golden and Austin finally got the belts. Wow. Okay, how about attendance on this rainy night? And was rain predicted in advance? Did you guys know, oh, no, this is not going to be what we hope? What was that like? Well, he didn't know till about the day before. Yeah, you know, and the weather wasn't quite as good as it is nowadays. That uh, projecting and uh, forecasting what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So we knew by Thursday that we were probably going to get the rain. So it was by far the lowest Knoxville attendance of the entire year in 1979. It was just over 2,000, 2,100 fans. Uh, and, and when you took into consideration the venue. The rain, the war, the fans' disgust with the wrestling war situation, and all that it combined, man, to take the wind out of my sails, man. <laughs> I went home that night as beaten as if five guys had worked me over, man. <laughs> uh, you know, and this kind of crowd night uh, combined with what was happening 500 miles to the south. Basically, Dave, it was kind of taking away my love of the sport, man. I mean, I was really struggling at this point uh, with the war and with what was happening in my territories. Wow. Did it did it feel like burnout, Ron? I mean, just with everything going on, I've had enough for now. I need a break. Yeah, I mean, obviously I needed a break, but uh, it was just it, I, I could not figure out how to make it happen. Wow. And that was what so was so frustrating for me. It really, really was a tough time for me. Yeah, I can only imagine, Ron. 1979, man, what a year. All right, so probably seemed like the weight of the world was on your shoulders at that young age. So when we come back, we're going to take our break right here. After the break, we're going to find out what happened in Mobile, Alabama two nights before this Tennessee disaster in 1979 we'll take a break and this studcast will continue in a moment all right studcast fans don't miss the ask the stud number nine question and answer show on saturday september 16th on youtube southeastern rewind they're one of the best historical wrestling shows anywhere the stud is a walking encyclopedia loaded with information few people on the planet can match now is the time for your question to be asked look for his ask the stud post on three facebook sites ron fuller welch ron fuller welch author and ron fuller the tennessee stud where you can automatically become friends by simply liking and following him there if you're not already his friend He's also on Twitter at Ron Fuller Welch. Leave your question on any of those and be ready for an incredible answer. Saturday, September 16th, YouTube, Southeastern Rewind. All right, Studcast fans, welcome back. The Studcast continues. For you, Ron, it's been a tough first part of this Studcast. So now we're back on the road again, back down south, Mobile, Alabama, two nights before the Knoxville card that we discussed in the first part of this Studcast. You mentioned earlier that you were going to have a meeting that night with the Southeastern Gulf Coast crew. Let's start there. I'm kind of curious to hear what you were going to have to say to the guys. 
Okay, so uh, let's, let's start the evening off, man, where it actually started, which was in the dressing room, uh, long before uh, fans uh, <laughs> filled the building. So, uh, so we were in the Mobiles Expo Hall. Uh, it was on Wednesday night, September 12th, 1979. There were about 20 people in this meeting. I think there was, uh, that is, I would predict, uh, you know, uh, I think there were 14 wrestlers on the cart. Louis Tillette, uh, who was the former booker that I was replacing, and uh, he was helping me uh, work out his notice, and uh, he was handling some finishes for me in the TV shows when I had to be in Knoxville and when I couldn't be there. Uh, plus, Roy Lee Welch, uh, who, besides wrestling on a lot of cards, was pretty much handling everything else for me at this point. And uh, there were two mobile referees, I think, in that meeting, plus uh, Charlie Platt, TV commentator, and Larry Brock, uh, who was the referee in Dothan, Alabama, had ridden over from Dothan to Mobile with, uh, with Charlie Platt. So uh, I wasn't a big fan of these meetings, man, and I, I rarely held them, but... Uh, this was obviously a territory uh, in, in disarray, I guess is a good way to put it. I mean, someone basically needed to set the course for the future, man. And so I, I thanked everybody that was in the room and, uh, and uh, for their work and in the ring and on the TV. And, and then I told uh, Louie, uh, you know, I kind of put Louie over a little bit uh, because and this was honest. He had done a tremendous job uh, under difficult circumstance. He produced an all-time record crowd in Dothan that was never broke, and probably would have never gotten broken after that. And, uh, and that said, you know, Louis going to be here helping me. I'm going to handle the booking, but he's going to be helping me. And uh, he's going to be here as long as I need him. And then I talked about uh, some of the guys in the room. Uh, Talked about Mike Stallings and Eddie Mansfield and both the assassins. And, you know, I told everybody, uh, and I wanted to give everybody a little history of since we had come down there to that territory. I said that Stallings and Mansfield and both assassins had been there in the first year, you know, uh, when we came in 1978 and started this out. And I said, uh, you know, they helped to explode the wrestling business from what was a horrible territory when we opened it up uh, to being, uh, they basically helped us put it on the map, put the territory on the map. Then I thanked uh, Ox Baker, I thank Austin Idol, uh, Dick Steinborn, Jerry Stubbs, the Rustin Pro, Herb Calvert, all guys that were veterans, man, and, and leaders in the dressing room. And uh, they knew how important uh, their input was to the future. And I, I kind of wanted to uh, acknowledge every one of them individually, uh, said something nice about them, uh, you know, if I had the uh, opportunity and the time. And I also thank Crusher Blackwell, who was that night finishing up in the territory for all that he had done in both the territories. And I uh, wished him well because I knew he was going into the, uh, the American Wrestling Association. He was going into Minnesota, attended uh, the AWA and, uh, and I told him, you're going to be under the tutelage of my really good friend, Vern Gagne, man. And uh, I said, be careful with Vern. He may hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and everybody got a laugh out of that. So I asked if anyone had any, anything to say. And, uh, and thankfully, nobody did. So that was good. I didn't know, uh, you know, I wasn't wanting to, to uh, have this last all night. And uh, 
I kind of ended with a promise, man, to do as much as possible. Uh, you know, I wanted everybody, and, and, and I was going to be there as much as possible from this point on. And I was going to do my best to make all of them happy as possible as I possibly could. And I, and I said, this commitment not only came from me, but uh, it's coming from another owner, too. And I said, you're going to be seeing him. You've already saw him in, uh, two nights earlier in Montgomery. And uh, that's Bob Armstrong. And he go, and I, you're going to see him again Friday night in Dothan. And I ended up then by saying, you know, guys, uh, let's go out there and tear this house down tonight. Wow. So that sounds like something probably very much needed, Stud. So how about the card for that night? Well, you know, basically it was even more than just needed, Dave. It was kind of like crucial. I, I had to make, I had to let them know. Uh, that what was happening down there was just as important as to me as what was happening in Tennessee, you know. So they, I didn't want to belittle that territory, man. Uh, I want to let those guys know how important it was that we keep things going and get it cranked up again. So then Herb Calvert opened the night against uh, the Hunter, uh, Rock Hunter, and. Uh, no, uh, so the newcomer Tim Tom McBride was going to be meeting Eddie Mansfield that night. Wrestling pro Leon Baxter was going to be taking on the Gladiator Dick Steinborn. Uh, Stubbs and Stallings, uh, this was their second week in the territory, were going to be for the first time ever wrestling the Assassins, who were the tag champions. But they weren't going to be wrestling for the title, but they were going to be meeting the best team in the territory. The next match was the Southeastern Championship match. Austin Idol was going to be defending against me. And the main event was the Loser Leaf Southeastern match. No time limit, no disqualification. Ox Baker versus Crusher Blackwell. That's a, that's a great card. All right, so who was on the TV? Well, it was loaded, man, with videos and great matches. Uh, Crusher Blackwell opened the show with Charlie Platt at the set. They watched a video from Mobile that was done three nights earlier, in which uh, uh, basically uh, they won. that's the night I was there. Then uh, Blackwell and Ox uh, had their normal bloody confrontation that ended up with no winner, uh, you know, fighting back to the dressing room. And uh, Blackwell was at the set with Les, and he just made it clear. He says, I'm through with these kind of matches, Les. He goes, he, I mean, not Les, but Charlie. He said, I'm through with these kind of matches, Charlie. And the uh, you know, he said, uh, what I want now is a loser-leave Southeastern match. I want it in this very next week. I don't want to put it off any further. I want it to be no disqualification. I want it to be no time limit. And I want that it has to have a winner. And the loser is going to disappear from Southeastern wrestling. So Charlie Platt told me, you know, studio uh, audience, they agreed, man, with what he wanted, uh, you know, so they made that even clearer, man, when he went to the ring uh, for, for the first match. He was, went straight to the ring after he watched this and uh, had a little bit of comments about it. And uh, he won the match, obviously. And, wow, he did another one of those devastating 425-pound dives off the top rope on his opponent to just squashed him again. Wow, just amazing uh, Mm. Charlie just Charlie says, "Watch, wow, Ron. Uh, he's <laughs> going to kill somebody doing that someday." <laughs> so then the Southeastern Tag Champions, the Assassins, they joined Charlie at the set, and uh, and they watched the loser leave Southeastern Tag Match. 
from Montgomery, Alabama, five days earlier, and that's when the Samoans were in the loser league town, and uh, that's one of the matches that the Samoans lost that had to leave the southeastern area. Mm. So after securing the win in the video, uh, the assassin said goodbye to the Samoans. They're done, you know. And uh, they went into the TV. On uh, They were in a tag match for the, for, uh, the championship on television, just, uh, you know, uh, as, just as Rob and I were. So they successfully defended uh, their belts against Herb Calvert and the newcomer Tom McBride. And uh, then the, these two assassins, wow, at this point, these guys were at the top of their game. They were better than I had ever seen them. Wow. All right, so how about the personality profile? Who'd you have there? Well, there was two prof- two profiles in this one, Dave. Uh, one of them was with Bob Armstrong, and the other was with me. And uh, we were both getting shots at Idol's Belt the next week. Bob Armstrong was going to be wrestling him in Montgomery on a Monday night, and then on the Friday night in that same week, he was going to be wrestling him for the title in Dalton. And I was going to be getting my shot at him on Wednesday night in Mobile. And uh, so I wasn't aware of any of that, you know. And in my opinion, it was always much better when the wrestler uh, on these profiles was surprised by something that they weren't aware of. I always liked to do that. I always, uh, I didn't want guys to just uh, say, oh, this is all I'm going to do and this is all that's going to happen. Uh, I like to uh, make them work for it. Right, so the Southeastern Heavyweight Champion Austin Idol, he joined Charlie uh, on the profile, and uh, it was done live in the studio, right next to the bleachers and all the fans. And uh, he, this was going to be the first of two personality profiles. So Idol only knew about the video that he was going to be watching, and that was a video between a match between him and the Gladiator that uh, was in in uh, his three straight weeks of title defenses against the Masked Gladiator. And uh, as usual, I mean, uh, one thing about Idol, he didn't have any trouble being cocky, man, and being a heel. And uh, so in his usual usual cocky self, uh, he bragged about finally eliminating the gladiator for good. As a contender for my belt, there's no more of that. You know, and then he was about to get up and leave the set. He didn't know anything else was happening. uh, And then Charlie sprung the surprise on him. Charlie asked him, said, whoa, whoa, wait, uh, Austin, uh, Please come back and sit down. We're not finished. And so Charlie said, uh, you know, you are finished with title matches against the Gladiator. That's that's true. But you now you're going to be defending this coming week against Bob Armstrong. Well, Idol's mouth dropped open. It was like, whoa, where did this come from? Oh, and he started kind of stuttering and stammering for a moment there. And uh, Charlie had the director run a video that uh, Bob had made in the Georgia Territory and had sent in for the occasion. And uh, Charlie said Idol was was still blown away, man, <laughs> but by not being told what the real content of the profile was all about. You know, <laughs> they, while they've been hitting interviews going on with Bob, he says, Idol is trying to get it together. So, uh, But Idol being the great, you know, the real pro, man, uh, he got his composure back and, uh, wow, uh, Charlie said he made a tremendous interview on the end of it, you know, and he's, he said, uh, you know, why is it the Southeastern wants to hide this stuff from me, these title defenses, you know, <laughs> from out of nowhere? And he goes, and he says, uh, you know, it's almost uh, going to cause him, uh, you know, 
say, this isn't going to cause me to lose my belt. You know, he get I'm ready for anybody. I don't care who it is. And he goes, Bob Armstrong might have been one of the most popular wrestlers in southeastern history. But uh, when he leaves Saturday, you know, Friday night and Monday night, he goes, uh, he's not going to be taking my belt with him. He's going to be leaving without the belt. That's for sure. Hmm. That had to have been your idea, right, Ron? I can see where you were right about surprising Idol and getting more from him. Yeah, I mean, you kind of push a guy, you know, and put him in the hot seat, basically. And you mm-hmm. sometimes you get much better than you would otherwise. Mm-hmm. So that first profile was shown on, obviously, the Montgomery TV station and Dothan TV stations. Uh, but then after the show ended and uh, everybody was out of the studio, then uh, Idol and Charlie uh, did a second tape. They did a, a second profile. Uh, and this time it was uh, going to be on the mobile TV station. And it was good interview that I had done and sent up there. And so Idol, uh, you know, coming back, he made the, then uh, the comments about uh, defending against me. He And, uh, you know, Charlie said, you know, he – Pretty much said what he had done in the first one, but the first mm. one was great. Mm. That was a beauty of a TV show. So if you knew how to do things, you could work wonders with it. So after five years of doing it, you were probably probably one of the best out there. So what came next on that TV show? Well, Jerry Stubbs and Mike Stallings got their second TV win in a row. Uh, they were ready to get in the ring with the Champions Assassins in all three of those major cities in the territory. During the next week and uh, during their during their match, the assassins went to the set with Charlie Platt, and they made it very clear, you know. They said, "Charlie, uh, you know, uh, Jerry Stubbs and Mike Stallings are not going to get a title match. We're going to wrestle them, you know, but they're not going to get a championship match until they prove they can beat us, and we're the best team in the world, and that ain't never going to happen." And then the show closed with the big man. Uh, Ox Baker, man. Ox Baker had horrified Southeastern Gulf Coast fans since the day he arrived. And after getting another win on the TV uh, with another opponent being carried from the ring, Ox did the last interview of the show. And he promised fans that this loser leaves Southeastern match with Crusher Blackwell, uh, he, he intended to be the Crusher. <laughs> he said that. Blackwell is not going to be the crusher. I'm going to be the crusher. He said, fans shouldn't show up. They have weak hearts. He said, I'm going to tell you in advance, if you have a weak heart, don't come. He said, because I intend to use my heart punch. <laughs> and he goes, I'm going to crush Blackwell's heart and maybe turn Blackwell's lights out forever. All right. Another great TV show, no doubt. What a way to end it. So I've got to admit, that man's kind of scared me i would have hated to meet him in a dark alley so what happened in the coming week so the hunter won over herb calvert eddie mansfield beat tom mcbride the gladiator won a very good babyface match uh, over the wrestling pro leon baxter who was still a great wrestler man uh, and uh, i'm sure that was a phenomenal match uh, the jerry stubbs and mike stallings they surprised everybody they got a victory over the assassins. It was the first loss for the masked men since they came there six weeks earlier and won the Southeastern Gulf Coast uh, Championship belts. So basically, it earned those Georgia boys their title shot the next week. And uh, 
In my championship match for Austin Idol Southeastern title, I kind of had knocked him through the ropes at one point onto the floor outside the ring, and the referee was pushing him, pushing me back from Idol, keeping me from getting out of the ring and getting on the floor as well. And uh, Idol's still out there on the floor, and uh, I see Idol. He he reaches into his tights, looks like he's grabbing something, and and so I just uh, you know I, I push my way, tried to pass, push my way past the referee. And uh, so the referee kept trying to push me back. And uh, and then I look up and there's the gladiator who, you know, has got no reason to be there really at the at the ring. But he was obviously he had had three weeks worth of Austin Idol. And uh, he just sneaked up behind Idol and put the sleeper hold on him out there on the floor. So the building was going crazy. They loved it. And Idol was fighting like crazy to get away. But the Referee finally turned around and he saw that the gladiator was uh, lowering Idle down to the concrete. He had put him to sleep. And uh, so the referee rang the bell. He disqualified me for the gladiator's interference. And he went out on the floor to raise Idle's hand. And even sound asleep, Idle had got a victory. <laughs> wow. So before we leave these championship matches, you and Bob Armstrong were having with Idle. What happened in Montgomery and Dothan in the Armstrong title matches with Idol? Well, something very similar, Dave, uh, happened uh, in those matches. And my being a new booker there and not having enough time to fill all the holes that were being left in this crew, man, with these departures one after another, week after week, in these loser lead town matches, I needed more time to get to. Uh, to get to, to move talent down there and get talent from the north and send them south and find new people. So, so the Gladiator was going to get involved uh, in Montgomery and in Dothan. Both of those cities where Bob was. Uh, and it's something similar to what we did in Mobile against Idol as well. So uh, next Studcast, I'm going to introduce a unique angle with the Gladiator that uh, – Bought me some time, man, that I needed to improve the crew. Uh, Gladiator is going to, uh, Gladiator's going to uh, end up losing a lead town match, and uh, and he's going to lose. And uh, and then uh, I won't give everybody the idea, but uh, we're going to do something I've never seen done before. So we'll talk about that uh, in the next podcast. Then in the loser leave southeastern match, Ox did exactly what he said he was going to do. He used his hard punch on Blackwell. He ended the big man's southeastern history, man, in both territories that had begun nine months earlier, man, in January of 1979. Blackwell came in, and wow, did he make a name for himself man, in that, uh, nine months or so. Yeah, I'm telling you. So what a run Crusher Blackwell had from Malenko, Roop, and Orton's puppet to a Canadian bumblebee to one of the most popular stars ever in southeastern. Well, I mean, he was definitely one of the reasons Southeastern Wrestling became such an iconic territory, man. No doubt. All right, how about attendance in the three major cities down south? Well, I have somehow, you know, uh, managed to get another increase in the houses down there. Montgomery basically went from 2,100 to 2,500. Mobile increased from 3,000 to 3,400. Dothan went from 2,500 up to 3,000. So in the last three weeks, uh, and that's uh, since I had started booking, basically, and take, took over from Louis, the three major cities' attendance had grown from 5,800 one week to 7,600 the next week to 8,900 the third week. 
That's a total of like uh, 3,000 more fans in just three weeks that have been added. And uh, that was done in September, which is one of the worst months of the year. Hmm. So this figure, along with the next couple of weeks, uh, what we're going to do, was going to have a great effect, man, on the most difficult wrestling-related decision I ever made. Wow. That's a, a pretty big statement there, Stud. So I can't wait to hear what that decision was all about. So this has been another great one, no doubt. Overflowing with all kinds of information and real history. It looks like we are going to have enough time for a learning tree question today. This one comes from David Worthington, Denver, Colorado. He said, your explanation last studcast of how wrestlers changed territories was excellent. And you also said you might explain how and why Vince McMahon Jr. changed the business model for the entire sport between 1988 and 1993. Can you do that today? Well, Chase, uh, I did say I would attempt to answer that question uh, or something similar to it. So uh, hopefully I can keep this answer relatively short. Wow, this is a big topic here, basically. Uh, so to begin with, uh, Vince Jr. planned to kill wrestling, as it had been done for basically 60 years before he came along as a young guy and decided, I don't like what wrestling is today, and uh, I want to handle it all. I want to change it all. So his plan was totally, uh, uh, he had a totally different business model in mind. Uh, his plan was to kill the territories to control the wrestlers he wanted and their incomes, and to be the only TV wrestling in the world, certainly in the country, and eventually, if he could, in the world. So to accomplish his goal, first he had basically to kill the territories. And so he did that by changing the business model uh, that had basically been used by everyone in the sport since the beginning of the territories. You know, And so he did that in three ways that I jump out at me right away. The first thing he did was he got on a national TV network so his wrestlers could be seen across the country and around the world in everybody's territory. I mean, uh, he, he had to go after everything. He had to have it all. So then he handpicked his wrestlers from different territories across the country uh, using guys that others, other promoters had developed into stars and uh, for the first time ever, he basically bought these guys, uh, bought them away from the territories, and he did that by offering them these large, big contracts, uh, you know, something that they couldn't turn down, kind of money they couldn't turn down. Uh, then to me, he did the worst thing he could have. He started bringing these stars that other people had developed uh, to, into these territories, the various territories all over the country. Uh, and he liked to use the stars where they had been developed. And uh, so he advertised the events on his TV, which was all over the country at this point. Obviously, he was going to be in direct competition with the territories. You know, it was kind of like, Dave, uh, to, to relate it to something that, uh, you know, to me, it would be like someone stealing your son from you hmm. and then making him wrestle against you in your own territory hmm. to purposely kill your business. Wow. That's a truly rotten business model. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. I hate to interrupt Brian, but uh, I mean, did that really happen? 
with his greed to own it all? It, it, it certainly did, Dave. That's a, that's all I can attribute it to. I don't know what else could have been behind it. I mean, you know, uh, so, you know, how, why would you do that all across America? You know, so he basically shut down territory after territory, man, using the stars that other wrestling companies had developed against them in their own cities to put them out of business. Uh, and in the process of destroying the territories, he literally put thousands of professional wrestlers out of business. Uh, he ruined their lives. Uh, he sent them looking for a job, man, uh, something other than wrestling, which was the only thing that most of them knew, you know? So it was a terrible deal for all of these guys that had spent their lives and they were in the sport they loved, doing what they loved, and they had no choice but to find something else to do. So the old business model had been totally changed by McMahon. And, uh, and so was the product in the process. Uh, the wrestling had been, uh, you know, so good, man. Uh, and so very popular. For 60 years, wrestling had been basically done the same way. Uh, and uh, it, 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 was, it was always uh, done with uh, some of the greatest talent that ever lived. You know, and uh, so it was popular for, after 60 years. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, the, ter- the business started to die away, just as the territories died away. When the territories went away, so did this business model that had been used for so long. Mm-hmm. So did all these great stars yep. that had made wrestling so big for so long. Yep. And, uh, and if there's anybody out there that questions that fact, that Vince McMahon Jr., created something that's much bigger than what was there, then, uh, boy, I got a tale. I got a tale. I got a tale to tell you. I can tell you that. Uh, it's pretty easy to prove that uh, wrestling uh, in the 80s, the 70s and 80s, was t- t- dramatically bigger than Vince McMahon ever, ever made it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, Mr. Worthington, uh, out there in, in uh, Colorado, sir, uh, you know, I'm sad to say, uh, uh, gosh, what can I say? Look what we have today. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So that might be the best learning tree answer ever, Stud. So what an amazing Stud cast this has been. So where do we ride next week? Well, ever, everything at this point, Dave, seemed to be uh, getting more bleak every week. I mean, it's like, wow, good. There was never a high spot, something really wonderful happening. And coming off the worst Knoxville crowd in five years, uh, I was encouraged uh, by the return of an old friend, my my old friend that had not been in Knoxville for more than a year, uh, Andre the Giant. He's going to be coming into the next uh, stud cast. He's going to be teaming up with the Mongolian Stomper on a very good Coliseum card, man, uh, with Alexis Smirnoff, and uh, and uh, true to his word, GG is bringing in uh, the killer, Ox Baker, to team up with Smirnoff against Stomper and Andre the Giant. Uh, what a match that'll be! And uh, I'll also talk about the, the TV for that one, and uh, the and the match results and the attendance, like always. And I've got another complete card of uh, All Star Company, and uh, we'll talk about their attendance. 
and uh, what they had going on uh, the next night after this big Coliseum car. And, and I was just doing the booking in the Gulf Coast uh, now at this point. Uh, and it wasn't just the booking I was doing, but uh, I was also spending about uh, three days a week down there uh, working in towns like Montgomery and Mobile and uh, and occasionally I'm going to get to Dothan. So uh, trying to get things headed back in the right direction again. Uh, it was a good card in, uh, in both cities uh, next week. Uh, and then uh, there's going to be a loser leave uh, in the southeastern uh, Gulf Coast down there between Idle and the Gladiator. Uh, be the first try of Jerry Stubbs and Mike Stallings to win the southeastern belt from the Assassins. It's going to be me against the Ox Baker. Uh, Bob Armstrong is going to be Russ and Tor Tanaka, who's going to make his southeastern Gulf Coast debut on a Friday night card in Dothan. Uh, so uh, we'll talk about those TVs, those results, and those attendances. And, and I hope, like uh, you know, <clears throat> like this week, I can answer another learning tree question again. Sounds like another loaded show stud. We'll be there for it. Can't wait until next week. Hey, folks on Facebook, you know the deal. Go to Ron Fuller Welch, the Tennessee stud on Facebook. Like and follow him there to become friends with a living legend. On Twitter, same thing. Ron Fuller Welch, follow him on Twitter, now known as X, by the way. Check out his fantastic website at tnstud.com. tnstud.com. It's got everything for every stud cast ever done, 43 super stud cast, and the famous stud store for all kinds of souvenirs, including the thrilling lion novel called Brutus. Get your personally autographed copy there as well. The YouTube Southeastern Rewind channel is red hot. It's going strong. It now has 331 videos. The last 92 stud cast, including this one, will be on there. 52 stud stories, 65 short rides with the stud. So don't miss Ron's tribute, by the way, also to Terry Funk. And Ask the Stud, number eight, question and answer show. They have both already set records. Subscribe now at YouTube, Southeastern Rewind. Go to YouTube on the search bar, put in Southeastern Rewind. It comes up immediately. Click the subscribe button and the bell to make sure you get notifications. Get the very best in old school wrestling on Ron's YouTube site. All right. Any last comments, Ron? Well, yeah, man, I'd like to thank uh, my social media friends out there, man, that I have so many of them now. It's pretty amazing. I'm, I'm approaching 20,000, uh, you know, and uh, for all their comments uh, on this last post that I did last week uh, when wrestling was wrestling, uh, you know, uh, and uh, I had such tremendous comments. I want to thank everybody out there. And sometimes I don't get a chance to uh, answer everybody uh, so uh, and please tell your friends and your neighbors about us out there and uh, take care of yourself and others and may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This Studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.